Welcome to this week's episode of the Movie Digest. I'm JQ. And I'm Finn. And this week is Top 5 Endings. So it could be a sad episode, this one. It could potentially be the last one because could potentially Finn has decided be. to spread his wings and go and work for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the Freelance Podcast. The Freelance Podcast. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, me and Finn work in the same building, uh, which is why we get to do these episodes in our lunchtime, uh, <laughs> not during working hours at all. Um, so I thought, in case this is the last one, hopefully it's not, we'll do our favourite endings to films. Please don't include Die Hard. I haven't. Good. <laughs> right, do you want to go first since it's your last time? Sure, Possibly. yeah, yeah. Well, b- because we're talking about movie endings, it's literally nigh on impossible to do this in any detail whatsoever without giving some spoilers away. That's very true. So it's probably better to prefix this whole section by saying we will talk about the spoilers <laughs> of all the films involved. So if you haven't seen any of them and you're desperate for the story not to be spoiled... Um, as soon as you hear the name of the film, turn off and come back once you've seen it, because we will go into depth. The last film, that the newest film on my list is from about 10 years ago, so <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now... Yeah. Um, my most recent one's from last year. Oh, uh, okay. t- two years ago, sorry. So Even two years. If you listen to this podcast, you like films. Yeah. So you would have seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Hopefully. Hopefully. Number five for me is Before Sunset. Right which is the second of the Before Trilogy, which was concluded last year. Yep. With Before... After dinner? Uh, before Midnight, I think right. it was. It was the last one. So there's Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, and they're the three films. They're all starring the same characters. Yeah. Um, they're directed by Richard Linklater and co-written by Richard Linklater and the two leads, which are Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Right. Who play Jesse and Celine, respectively. And each film happens seven years after the preceding one. So I think the first one's from like 97, then the second one's from 2004, then the last one came out last year, which isn't quite seven years. but um, <laughs> On average. Yeah. And my favourite ending is the one to Before Sunset, which is the second one. So try not to give too much from the first one away, but th- there will be spoilers here. So basically they meet up... Uh, on a train when they're both very young and single uh, in the middle of Europe and they kind of spend a strolling evening together and they talk about life and love and all that kind of thing. They agree to meet at the end of the first film at that same train station exactly one year later. Classic. And see what happens. Yeah. Needless to say, things don't quite happen like that. Life happens in between. So anyway, seven years later, Jesse, Ethan Hawke's character, has become quite a famous writer and his most famous book is written about this potentially fictional, is it real life episode between right. a young man and a young lady that meet in Central Europe, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he is doing a book tour and he ends up in Paris, which is where Celine lives because she's French. And they basically kind of meet up and spend the day going around Paris together talking about what's happened in the seven years since they first met. And the ending to the film is absolutely amazing. They kind of end up back at her apartment and she sticks on a record and she starts singing in like this really seductive way to Nina Simone. And she sings this line to him, baby, you're going to miss your plane. And he's just kind of sitting on the couch enjoying it. And the camera, instead of just cutting or him saying something pithy or whatever, it just starts to gently pan over to the right and fade to black while the music's still going underneath. And that's where the film ends. So I love this kind of endings because it lets the listener try and make up their own ending as to what happened between the couple. 
Uh, obviously, with the third part of the trilogy coming out last year, yep. we know what's happened as soon as that film starts after that point. Um, but it's just, I, I just love that ending because it just lets you try and figure out your own ending to that. And it's, it's just, it's brilliantly done. Number four for me is <laughs> Cool Runnings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even taking okay. the piss. Um, you know, there is a Jamaican bobsleigh team this year. Isn't it? <laughs> I know, I'm so excited. I don't think they'll have any chance because they barely scrape through qualification right, for the okay. Sochi Games um, when they start. It's like a month's time or something like yeah. this time. But yeah, I, most of you will be familiar with the plot. A bunch of Jamaican runners, I think it's kind of like 86 or 87 or something like that, are trying out for the 100 metres. Uh, they all end up kind of tripping over each other and none of them qualify. But one of the runners wants to still go to the Olympics and he is introduced to a guy that lives on the island who's a disgraced former winter Olympian who was a bobsledder for the US team. Right. And he... High jinks ensures. Yeah, he tries to (laughs) convince him to be their coach to teach them how to bobsled and to take them to the Winter Olympics in Calgary. And uh, it's it's just it's such a brilliant film, but the whole kind of final third of the the film's amazing. And you know the uh, Jamaican bobsled team compete well; they over win over their critics, especially the kind of commie East Germans that are in there. Ah, yeah, well. My favorite thing about it is the end, their third and final run, where they had a rubbish first day and a phenomenal second day. So they're in a potentially medal position contention, yep. and their run is going so well; they're going so fast. Uh, but there's a screw loose on the bobsled. They end up crashing yeah. and therefore are disqualified from finishing because they, they didn't finish the race. And it's the, the bit where they, the long running joke throughout the film is between Sanka and the captain of the team, Doris. And he says, whenever they crash, going, Sanka, you did? And he goes, yeah, man. But this time it's turned on its head. So Sanka says, Doris, you did? And he goes, no, man, but I have to finish the race. And he makes the team pick up the bobsleigh, carry it over the finish line, and there's one of those glorious slow 80s hand claps that yeah. happens. It's very emotional. Uh, and the ending of that's amazing. The last scene is a kind of freeze-frame photograph that's taken of the team and their coach that's put up on the wall in the Olympic office yeah. in Jamaica. And then it tells you what happened to the real-life team. You know, they go back to the olympics four years later as equals and just oh it's amazing <laughs> okay number three for me it could have been any of the trilogy but uh, the final chris nolan batman film dark knight rises right is in there for me uh and again i'm not I taking don't the piss. Bury another batman i don't want to bury another batman mr <laughs> um yeah i because a lot of people were kind of disappointed by the final installment uh i i wasn't one of those those people but honestly for me it was the perfect ending to the franchise the way that mm. um that that one does so major spoilers here at the end of dark knight rises the whole end section where he takes the bomb out of the city takes out to sea it's detonated gotham saved but we think batman has yep. killed himself in order to save gotham no mention of the radiation and nuclear fallout it's fine it's batman detonated so, so there's going to be no radiation probably put out a radiation force field or something you know shield. but it's just like that whole end section from alfred's kind of gut-wrenching speech it's like oh flouty, oh, flouty. <laughs> the eulogy that uh, commissioner gordon reads out the turning of wayne manor into home for orphans john blake being assigned by batman to take over the role of batman you know he's introduced to the cave and also the ending, I think, is quite ambiguous. He's done a bit of an inception because I don't know if what Alfred sees in the cafe in Florence when he thinks he sees 
Bruce again with Selena Kyle. Remember this just yeah. at the end? Yeah. I don't know if that's in Alfred's head or if that genuinely happens. Or... I think someone brought this up. Did, uh, Bruce, did Alfred ever actually meet Selena Kyle in the film? Yes, uh, he did. But he, he um... Apart from the beginning when she was a waitress. Yeah. Which didn't really count because she would have just been a waitress. And that's the thing I was going to say, that she was a waitress at the start. So he has seen her, but then... Not in that context. Yeah, but then in that shot, it doesn't really focus on her at all. Mm. For the viewers, it's good because she's got the pearl necklace on that was Bruce's mother's. Uh, but he's really focusing on Bruce. So I don't know. But to be fair, the ending of any of those Batman films are brilliant. You know, at the end of Batman Begins, where he, uh, he's like, I've got a new one for you, taste for the theatrics. And he gives him the card, turns it over. It's a Joker card, which sets oh, up the Dark Knight. It's amazing. Uh, and uh, also the, the kind of powerful closing monologue at the end of Dark Knight, where he's like, we'll hunt him because he can take it, blah, blah, blah. He's the hero that Gotham needs, but not the one it deserves right now. A watchful protector, a Dark Knight. And then he's on the Batpod cut to black. Just incredible. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, number two's kind of an obvious one for me, but I had to put it in there. Number two's Fight Club. Right. Is that on your list? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. There's not much to say in this that I haven't said before. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And the ending is so perfect. So, so perfect. It, it's different as well from the book. But yes. I think better to the book. And even uh, Chuck Palahniuk, who's the author, said that he was surprised and really enjoyed the different ending to the film as mm. opposed to the book. What happens in the book? You know, the bit just before the end where he shoots himself through the mouth yeah. to shoot Tyler in the head, but he's okay. Well, he's basically killed himself in the book. Right. And there's there's a little bit where he's talking about basically the beginning of the afterlife. Uh, so that's how Fight Club the book ends. Right. But in this, obviously, he survives. He's killed Tyler, but he's survived. And then his goons coming, bringing Marla into the room, just leaving the two of them to watch the entire financial district being yeah. blown to smithereens in front of their eyes. The beginning of the pixies underneath, you know, just falls. And then the, the freeze frame of the, the penis as well. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just the most perfect end to that film. It couldn't, couldn't have been any better. But still not quite good enough for my number one spot. Okay. The gold medal, best movie ending for me ever. The Usual Suspects. Oh, come on, that's too easy. It's not. It's, is it obvious? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the greatest plot twist to any movie ever, yes. I'd say, as well. Yeah. It's the first time you watch it, and if you haven't worked it out, yeah. the payoff is just what? so delicious at the end. It's yeah. amazing. Um, and of course, we, we can't talk of this about spoilers. So did you see it coming? The first time you watched The Usual Suspects... Did you... What, what was the point that you remember realising? I can't remember if I knew or not before I watched it. I didn't see it at the cinema. Okay. I knew the day. But. Um, I don't know. I can't remember. I'm, I remember watching it going, ah. It's so just because I, well, I was so wrapped up in the story. It, and it's so well done because there's so many red herrings in there to throw yeah. you off the pace. The fact that, you know, Kobayashi is completely made up. Yeah. But because it's portrayed by an actor in the yeah. flashbacks, you think, well, no, it's a real guy. Yeah. Uh, the penny doesn't drop for me until... Verbal's out the building and the there's the shot of the police chief and he's just got his cup of coffee and he's just kind of like looking into distance and then he notices the thing on the board and you're like that's it that's it and you're like no that's so clever uh, apparently I was reading in an interview as well that um, Gabriel Byrne who plays uh, um, the main guy yeah the main guy who kind of you think's heading up the group of the, the usual suspect Gabriel Byrne himself thought that he 
was Kaiser Soze <laughs> right. up until the very first screening. Yeah. And in fact, all the actors thought they were Kaiser Soze at one point because right. Brian Singer didn't really tell them the rest of the script. And apparently Gabriel Byrne was so incensed that he wasn't Kaiser Soze in the end that he had quite heated words with Brian Singer really? straight after the screening. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Spacey was talking about this in an interview. But just that final shot, honestly, the last one of him straightening up the limp, yeah. walking away, lighting up the cigarette and with all the, you know, the, the multiple voice layers on top of it. And then he's like, my guess says you'll never hear from him again. And like that, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> just incredible. So that's, that's my number one. Nice. So we only, have we got a crossover? Let me have a check. <laughs> now I was going to put usual suspects in a number five. I thought that's too obvious. Has we done? It's the best. It's the best. So my number five, it's Back to the Future. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> well, I was a child of the eighties, so yeah. You, you go into the cinema, and then someone guy comes out in a flying car. We don't need roads, because so like, there was no plans for a sequel at the time. Yeah. Um. So it just kind of leaves it open ended to, like you would never have thought there'd be a flying car from the future coming along. Yeah. And Mister Fusion and stuffing all the stuff in the back. That was amazing. Number four, mm-hmm. <laughs> another, uh, what's the guy's name from the film we were just talking about? Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey, yeah. Uh, seven. Yeah. Where he opens up the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? It's a cake. No, it's your wife's <laughs> head. Uh, <laughs> that was a pretty gruesome ending to I've got it. To, I think, because people say that Brad Pitt's not that great an actor, and to be fair, some of his roles and stuff are a bit questionable. He does seem to have like a kind of one thing. Seven, the end of Seven, I think he, that's the thing that you hold up saying he's a good actor. Yeah. Because when he's got, you know, the bit where he's tormented and he doesn't know whether to just turn around and blow Kevin Spacey's head off or, you know, resist because if he shoots, if he kills him, Kevin Spacey wins. Yeah. And that's the way it happens in the end. You know, it's just, it's amazing. It's a very good film, apart from all the uh, errors and continuity things of the film. Like driving along as a hose pipe. The continuity errors. <laughs> when they drive along in the rain, someone's just got a hose pipe on the window. Yeah. Anyway, number three. Mm-hmm. One of my favourites. Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Yeah, what's the exact ending to that one again? The whole point of the film is they're after these guns. Yeah. If you don't get them guns. So at the end of the film, he's le- he's going to dump the guns over the side of the bridge. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. he gets the phone call saying, don't dump the guns because they're worth a lot of money. But he doesn't, he doesn't know whether he answers it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Him in the yeah. River. Yeah. Uh, so I like the ambiguity of that. It's, so it's, what happens to, does Finney Jones not get them in the end? Does he? No. Does he, he get the money? He gets loads of money. Yeah. And then drives off with his son, little Chris. That's right. Little Chris. Little Chris. His son and heir, little Chris. Uh, number two, Big Fish. What's the ending to Big Fish? It's been ages since I've seen that. Uh, I didn't think you'd seen it because it's a Tim Burton film. It's one of the only ones that I've actually liked. Well, the premise of the whole film is that Ewan McGregor or Stroke, what's the guy's name? Albert Finney. Albert Finney just tells all these tall tales about his life and they sound completely ludicrous. Um, Then his son doesn't believe a word he's saying until the very end of the film where eventually his son does believe what's going on and then Albert Finney's in hospital and it's rather than dying in hospital, they take him out somewhere and they take him to a pond and put him in the pond and he turns into a big fish. Okay. So you have to, you have to watch the whole film. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Maybe I watched it after like two bottles of wine or something. I can't really remember. I think the son was telling the story of how his dad dies to his dad while he's in hospital bed. Right. Okay. So when he's telling the story, you're seeing the story happening. Right. Which is them taking out with Finney out and putting him into a pond and then turns into a big fish. Okay. 
Uh, that was a brilliant ending to film. And then number one, can you guess what my number one ending is? Is it Die Hard? No. Is the, it the, the Italian joke? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate ending to any film. The ultimate cliffhanger. It, literally. Literally. It is. I, 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 yeah, it's, it, it's incredible. Yep. Such a great ending. And it wasn't even the one they wrote. Was it because they ran out of money they or something? They ran out of money. Yeah. yeah. So they had to just stop the film. Uh, the original ending was they drove to Switzerland in the bus, unloaded all the gold into the back of a, into a Swiss bank account. And as they were coming out, the mafia caught them and that was the end of the film. Mm. But they ran out of money, so they had to put the bus over the edge. I actually think it's a better ending. It's a much better Like ending. what we've seen earlier, but like a couple of your ones have had that thing, a couple of the ones from my list, the, the ambiguous endings. Yep. The same as uh, the end of Inception, you know, yep. with the spinning top. So I, I love a director that allows you to make up your own conclusion to something. Yep. It's awesome. There were a couple of other ones that uh, I put on An there. Honourable mentions. Honourable mentions. There, I only had three. And one of them's only because of the line in space <laughs> that references it. Uh, you know, Terminator 2? Yeah. Because well, my favourite TV show of all time is Spaced. And I love the bit right at the start of um, episode one of Spaced, where he's like, he's trying to win back his old girlfriend. He's like, you think I'm unemotional, don't you? Jesus, I cried like a child at the end of Terminator 2. <laughs> you know, with the thumb and the molten. Is there someone else? Like, <laughs> she's one of the best lines in any TV show ever. Shawshank Redemption, I think, has got to be up there. My friend, Andy Dufresne. It, I, what I love about it is that I'm quite cynical. So, like, I don't often like a nice, neat ending to a film. Yeah. I quite like if it's a bit messy, if one or more of the main characters is dead, <laughs> stuff like that. But Shawshank Redemption is one of the few films that when I watch it, I'm just, I'm, you're pining for both Red and Andy to get out to, yep. and, and to find each other again at the end. And then the, the final shot where the Red's walking down the beach in Mexico the what a nail <laughs> to towards Andy and you can't hear what they say and it's this massive long shot yeah. pulling back when they they finally embrace and you don't know what they say I just uh, such a great ending and also the ending of Saw we talk about twist endings I did not see that coming oh, the first time yes. I saw that yeah. amazing yeah. that he spends the entire time on the ground on the grass um, <laughs> I, and he was alive the whole time and you just see if only they'd oh if only they'd, they'd known part of time. it's just amazing, amazing. Sixth Sense as well good ending so uh, that was one of the ones that I knew ah, what was going to happen before I, I saw it so I knew it was coming the whole time apparently on the set of Tusk Kevin Smith's new film mm. um, Hayley Jarrell Osment's the, one of the stars and he was standing in with a group of people and Kevin Smith walks over to the group and Hayley Jarrell Osment has turned and said I see Kev people. <laughs> <laughs> Madness. That's pretty cool. So have you got any news, movie news? Uh, yeah, well, the, um, probably the biggest bit of movie news from uh, last week or so were that the Oscar nominations happened. Yep. Uh, so we might as well just do a brief run through. The kind of annoying thing about the Oscars is that half the films aren't even out in the UK yet. So yeah. we don't know if they're any good or not. The nominations for Best Picture, there are nine. Uh, and they are 12 Years a Slave, yep. American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, which isn't out here yet. Stars Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Gravity. Her, the new Spike Jones yeah, film that's coming that. out. Nebraska, Philomena and The Wolf of Wall Street. What would you get? Get your vote at the ones you've well, seen. Of the ones I've seen, it's de- for me. It's definitely between Twelve Years a Slave and Gravity. 
Ah, I, even though Gravity's not got much of a story. It doesn't, but just in terms of how amazing the film is, mm. in terms of the visual effects and all that kind of thing, it would be up there. But it's it doesn't seem like a kind of Oscar film, because I don't really remember many sci-fi films winning an Oscar, so... Best picture, I'd probably say we'd go to 12 Years a Slave. There's the whole, I think there's a whole the whole kind of white guilt thing going on with that as well. So yeah. anything that's like quite a harrowing story and all that generally tends to favour, uh, getting favoured. Best Oscar, five nominations, Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity, Alexander Payne for Nebraska, Steve McQueen, 12 Years a Slave, David O. Russell for American Hustle, and Martin Scorsese for Wolf of Wall Street. I don't know who will win that. I hope it's Steve McQueen. But I don't think it will be. It depends on what they want out of it. What's the director done to make that film better? Yeah. you got to say Gravity. He's probably done the most work on it. Yeah, but it's not really... To me as well, best director should go to someone who's drawn a performance out of the actors that mm. they might not normally give in, in another film. They've given the actor the kind of breathing space to do what they, they need to do to make the performance incredible. Yeah. And for me, Alfonso Cuaron... Like, I wouldn't say that George Clooney or Sandra Bullock were sensational in those films. True. But then something like 12 Years a Slave, uh, we'll review that later on in this in this episode, you really feel like Spoilers. Steve McQueen <laughs> allows the performances of his cast to... He, he provides that ground for them to put in incredible performances. So I don't know uh, who won that one. Best actor, Christian Bale, Chivetta Leggio for Leonardo DiCaprio, Bruce Dern and Matthew McConaughey. Best Actress, Amy Adams, Sandra Bullock, Meryl Streep, of course, Judy Dench and Kate Blanchett. For me, the best actress I've seen in the films that are nominated would be Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine, so I hope she wins that. The supporting categories, you had Barkad Abdi from Captain Phillips, Jared Leto, Jonah Hill, Bradley Cooper, Michael Fassbender. If that doesn't go to Michael Fassbender, there's no justice in the world because he's... <laughs> absolutely mind-blowing in 12 years of slave there's some great other performances in there but fastbender has to win one sooner or later for me supporting actress sally hawkins and blue jasmine lupita nyongo for 12 years of slave june squib for nebraska jennifer lawrence and uh, julia roberts for august to sage county so yeah again I, i'm not too sure who i pick from that although i think jennifer lawrence might win it again and seeing as we're editors best editing Yes. The nominees were 12 Years a Slave, Captain Phillips, Gravity, Dallas Buyers Club, and American Hustle. It's kind really of the give same thing. You can't edit into Gravity, though, can you? Because there's not a lot of editing in it. Not there's really. lots of static shots. Nah. I'm, of the other ones, Captain Phillips doesn't really have anything in it that I'd think the editing in that enhances or really adds anything to the film. 12 Years a Slave, I'd say it would do. Again, I haven't seen Dallas Buyers Club, and American Hustle was a bit kind of. Me and Naomi have been Standard. watching a lot of Breaking Bad. There's good editing in that. Like there's mm. one point where someone closes a laptop and as the laptop shuts, the next scene, the car door shuts. I said, Naomi, oh, that's a really nice, neat little edit. She's like, what? <laughs> I get it. I was like, oh, fine. <laughs> anyway, in other movie news, the, the, uh, suppose the two biggest stories that happened, the first one was that uh, the Hateful Eight, Tarantino's new film, mm -hmm. has been suspended indefinitely because Tarantino's kind of thrown the toys out of his pram I think since the script else got leaked. There. Do you reckon? Well, you wouldn't... Stuff gets leaked all the time. If he hadn't said anything, if he hadn't banged on about this being leaked, would we have ever known? I don't... It'd only be the real internet nerds that go out looking for a leaked... If you knew there was a leaked script for Tarantino, would you download it and read it all? Well, no, because... No. I, I, a, I'm not, an ab, I'm not a massive, avid reader. <laughs> I don't think I'm quite that geeky. Yeah. And also, I just... 
I don't see what the point of reading something like that is. I, this sounds weird in the context of a lot of people will read a book and then see the film. Well, the book's completely different. Though. Exactly. Also, this was a first draft, so yeah. it's not... And, and also, reading a script is not the same as reading a book because you don't have the context of yeah. the description in between setting the scene yeah. and how people are acting, it how they look. Interior, like bar. Exactly, day. yeah. It's, it's very, very bare. Um, I, I wouldn't want to do that. You want to see... The, the movie because yeah. that's the director's vision realised that's the script realised it just seems a bit pointless so I, I'm a bit annoyed that he's kind of taken that stance mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm sure what he said is I've got another 10 where that came from which just makes me a bit annoyed that he's All just right. got these <laughs> endless kind of uh, Tarantino type stories to, yeah. to, to get churned out uh, and the other big news I think from, from last week was that the Superman Batman film has been pushed back by a year yeah. So it now won't come out until 2016. To, uh, what was the word they said? To um, make sure they can fulfill their creative vision, mm. which means they don't know what they're doing. Basically, I think yeah. that's what, what comes across. I, I think it's a good thing, though, because I'd rather they take their time, figure out what it is they need to do, and make this one work where Man of Steel didn't. Mm. And also, I think it's what it, a lot... I'm annoyed because I prefer the characters of the DC universe much better than Marvel. Right. But the way that Marvel have played the whole franchise thing has been incredible, even though I haven't really enjoyed <laughs> Thor, Hulk, Captain America. The way that they obviously planned out the storylines to tie together, to come together, to make the Avengers. Again, a film that I enjoyed. I didn't think it was phenomenal. I had a lot of problems. But the way that they've done that and they've played that is fantastic. And now you feel like there's such a, a momentum behind the Marvel yep. Universe. You know, I had Iron Man 3 last year, grossed a billion dollars. You've got all the other ones coming out this year and there'll be uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers 2, Age of Ultron and all that kind of thing. Yep. It feels a lot more reactionary from DC Yeah. in that they were like, Man of Steel didn't do as well, I don't think, as they performed. Probably because the film wasn't all that good. We talked about this in the last podcast, mm. but it's like, okay, let's throw Batman at it. Uh, and the people are like, oh, people are really interested in that. Well, let's throw Wonder Woman at it. And she signed on for a couple of films now. Well, let's build up to a, a Justice League movie. And it's all good because I want to see that happen. But there's no point doing it just for the sake of doing it because it should be done properly. So at least they're taking more time to make sure that it happens well. That was the other thing that came off the back of it. Uh, Gal Gadot, who has mm. been signed up to play Wonder Woman, say that she signed a contract for to be in three movies as Wonder Woman. So ah. that kind of adds more fuel to the fire. Yeah, it depends if they don't do very well. But especially in the franchise, things like that, people sign up to multiple films at a time. Uh, and I heard a rumour as well that apparently the, the Rock is in talks to sign up for a potential Justice League movie. Which as who? Don't know yet. But Not Robin. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, so I, that's kind of all the, the major movie news. Nice. I haven't got any because I never bother looking. You're nice. my source of movie news. <laughs> <laughs> so what films have you seen? Uh, well, this comes back to from the Oscar announcements. I've seen a couple of films recently, so I'll go down in order of how much I enjoyed them to from best to least. <laughs> right. So I've seen a few films that I was really excited about seeing and they were very disappointing. Yeah. One film that I saw that wasn't disappointing was 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. I think it kind of justifies the hype of how good the reviews Got have been. Absolutely no interest in it whatsoever. It's, it's well worth seeing. It's, it's brilliantly acted. The cinematography is incredible. It's really well edited. The storytelling's brilliant because it's done in a way where it's not completely grim the whole way. You know, there are flashback sequences and there are little glimmers of hope yeah. Uh, throughout the film. The basic premise of the story, most people will probably be aware, is 
it follows the story of this man called Solomon Northup, who was a free black man uh, living in Saratoga, which I think is in New York, somewhere like that. Yeah. Uh, I think in the 18, 1850s. So this is a, peri- it is a period film. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, he's a musician, successful musician, got a wife and two small children. While his family are thankfully out of town, he's duped uh, while he's out on dinner one night into potentially performing in a travelling circus, which would be really good money. He's drugged and basically wakes up in chains. He's been captured and he'll be sold into slavery. Brilliant. Uh, And he's sold into slavery. It follows his story over the period of the 12 years that he is a slave, as the title would suggest, and the different plantations he's moved around, the different experiences he has. Uh, during this time until obviously there's not even the title kind of gives away the ending he's he's finally um his period as a slave is comes to an end and he's he's freed again the film grows in intensity and brutality as it goes on there's a couple of scenes that is it tarantino-esque no not not in like a kind of hyper violent or stylized way but they don't really shy away from how brutal it was yeah there's a couple of scenes that you kind of feel like watching between your fingers because they're quite not overly graphic but they are they're just really uncomfortable the way that they're done you can't believe this happens and the shots linger so there's one scene quite near the the start where the people that have captured him whip him and it's the camera is low on the floor looking up at solomon and you can see the whip coming down on his back but you can't see you know the lacerations that it makes on his back um, but you can see like little almost dust clouds of blood come off because of the the impact it's having and it's it's one shot and it just lingers on it it's brutal there's another one kind of halfway through where he's tied up to a tree around the neck uh not hung but he's just kind of left there and the camera lingers on this shot from about three different angles for about two and a half minutes it feels like an eternity and he's trying to prop himself up by his feet and it's slipping in the mud. It's just, it's so tense in such a simple thing. And then there's, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but there's there's one scene towards the end, which is all just one continuous moving take, which is absolutely brutal, really quite grim. And it, it's, but it's it brilliantly done, phenomenally acted. Um, just one more thing about the violence. I wouldn't say it's gratuitous, but it's certainly, it's quite, full on but nothing if, if you've seen the thing that I, I would liken it to is if you've seen Schindler's List which again is a kind of like film about a historical violence and injustice done to a people it's yeah. it's grim right. but if you've seen that and you can handle it there's nothing that you wouldn't be able to handle in 12 Years a Slave in case that's something that's putting you off from seeing it and also it, it's rated 15 not an 18 so uh, it's okay. not you know it's not that bad yeah uh, or, or it's something like Saving Private Ryan, you know, like the beach scenes. It's like that kind of level yeah. of intensity. I think one of the things that comes across that I really enjoyed in the storytelling is that almost every character is a slave in a certain context. Yeah. So there's the obvious slavery of all the the black people in the film who are in an obvious form of slavery. They are slaves, physical slaves to other people. And that that's really hard. But also the other characters are still slaves in certain respects to something else. So uh, the first plantation that Solomon ends up on, the plantation owner is Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay. And he plays a kind of... Uh, What's he like in it? He, he, he's amazing. Right. Um, but he plays this kind of, in inverted commas, kindly slave owner. Right. So he takes pity on 
Solomon and because he's a violinist, he gives Solomon a violin at one point and lets him play every so often and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And his character, he's he hates the whole, he can't really stomach the whole slavery quagmire and he's a preacher. He holds sermons for his slaves to go to, but he's still a slave owner. He even separates a mother from her children when he buys her and not her children at an auction at one point. Uh, and there's this one heartbreaking scene where he's giving a sermon to his slaves and makes reference to all people being the children of God. And this slave, because she's been separated from her children, is just breaking her heart. And But he continues to speak over it. And it's like he's a slave to his environment, although he would want to do something. He can't. Right. And then also Michael Fassbender. Please, please, somebody give the man an Oscar already because <laughs> he's... To me, honestly, and this isn't any use of hyperbole, he's the best actor working in Hollywood right now. Every film he's in, he's usually the best thing about the film. Prometheus hated the film. He's amazing in it. X-Men, the most recent one, I thought he was the best thing about it, even though I really enjoyed the film. Shame, just like his filmography is incredible. And he plays the second plantation owner. And he is one of the most evil characters I've ever seen portrayed on screen. Even worse than the guy from Schindler's List? honestly i i think because there's hardly any humanity in his character he's completely terrifying the whole time and this guy again is uh, although he's a slave owner he's also a slave himself he's a slave to his urges his lusts his anger his pride his own evil or something it's just, it's just phenomenally well played and he's Sounds just like a good profile gruesome. for match.com <laughs> he's just genuinely despicable and so bloody good as well uh, the acting's <laughs> incredible the rest of the cast brilliant even from the big stars in, in very small roles i loved seeing paul giamatti he's a, a tiny little scene brad pitt's character in it is kind of fleeting but decent as well uh, and the the two real standouts are well three are are, are the the two kind of main leads there's chevette ledger for who plays solomon and michael fassbender i've already stated and also the girl that plays one of the the slaves on Michael Fassbender's plantation, uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who's up for Best Supporting Actress, I think, or Best Actress at the Oscars, she's, she's terrific as nice. well. So that is a, a five-star recommendation. Definitely go and check out 12 Years a Slave if you can. It's excellent. I also went to see two films that were, quite frankly, very disappointing. The first <laughs> one was American Hustle. Okay. Honestly can't fathom the fuss it's gathering, really? the amount of nominations and wins it's having. It's okay. Decent enough film. The performances are great. It's got good cast. Kristen Bale, Amy Adams, Jennifer Lawrence, Bradley Cooper, Louis C.K.'s in it okay. for a bit as well. Uh, but the plot is so meandering and complicated. It's kind of based on real life. I was just bored and confused for a vast majority. <laughs> a bit like me in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> one thing about that film that kind of annoyed me the most, and it's one of the things that people have been praising the film for, Amy Adams' character in it is American. But for part of her character's hustle, she puts on an English accent and pretends she's English aristocracy or knows English aristocracy to try and pull off the things that she's trying to do. And uh, people have been praising her for this. It's absolutely rotten. It's (laughs) honestly, it sounds like, you know, when you're in the pub with your mate and he starts telling a joke in like a brilliant Welsh accent, which quickly descends over three sentences into the most racist Pakistani impression <laughs> you could do. Yeah. That's what it does. It like meanders between American English, posh English, Cockney, it sounds like it's some bits, Yorkshire. Mm. Um, it just is bizarre. And a fairly massive plot point 
rests on her doing this accent right. and i didn't know she was doing it at certain points and I, it just it baffled me uh and it, when one of the characters is like you've been putting on an accent the whole time i was like yeah of course she has it's rubbish how did you not spot that <laughs> um so that kind of really annoyed me about the film the best thing about american hustle is the music yeah because it's 70s and it's all right. disco so nice. yeah if you like disco music as i do definitely go and check it out but um you'll be bored for for the majority of it and the last film, which was super disappointing, was uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Really? Yeah. Uh, the trailer I, looks awesome. Yeah. Pretty much all the best bits are in the trailer. Great. Um, it's okay. I like the sentiment behind it more than anything else because it's quite wanderlusty. Was it this travels. generation's Forrest Gump, as it says on the poster? Well, actually, I'm not a fan of Forrest Gump either. Uh, no. One of about 10 people on the planet that just didn't enjoy <laughs> it. It's nowhere near on that level anyway in terms yeah, right. of its epicness or the storytelling it's it's not it's um it's just really muddled because like there are certain bits of it that are typical ben stiller slapstick there's a really the whole premise is he's this guy who's very insular and but he keeps daydreaming he's doing something bigger yeah he has to go out and find this photographer who's lost a negative of a picture they want to use for ben stiller's magazine's company's last ever issue uh, so he goes like kind of globetrotting to find this guy and goes on an adventure. But like a, some of the daydreams that he has are like typical Ben Stiller slapstick. Like, and it's just not very well placed with the other half trying to be Wes Anderson type indie, right? Soul searching, wanderlusty type film. It just it the the tone was so muddled for me. I didn't really get it. And I've said it before. I'm not a big Ben Stiller fan, and this film's certainly done nothing to to bring me around to him. The thing that annoyed me most about this, and this is almost impossible to do without giving spoilers away, so I'll try my best. There's this thing that comes as a kind of a twist towards the end, which I figured out about eight minutes into the film. (laughs) Right. And I literally spent the whole film waiting for this twist to happen. And it happens two hours later. (laughs) Okay. And I'm like, you know, in horror films, it's easy to get annoyed at people that don't have any common sense. If there was a shred of this character having any common sense as he's meant to have, he would have figured out the end to the film in the first eight minutes. <laughs> right. And it just really annoyed me that it. I, I, it's weird because when I went to see this, I went to see this with one of my friends. When we came out, she was like, "That was amazing." And I was like, "Did you not figure out that bit within about eight minutes?" She was like, "No, I didn't see it coming." So maybe it's just that I'm a bit more cynical, or that I was trying to think through it, or that I've seen too many films with that kind of end. But yeah. it was. It just seemed so obvious that what happened at the end could have been avoided obviously there's no film that way but it could have been avoided if he'd just done been a bit had a bit more common sense at the start the cinematography is amazing though and it's never made me want to sing karaoke in greenland or go skateboarding in iceland anymore in my entire life so yeah Uh, it's nice to look at but not much else so give that the bum steer if you're kind of swithering (laughs) sounds like me and you Um, (laughs) have you seen any films I haven't seen anything because I've got two children and we've been watching Breaking Bad not with the kids obviously (laughs) Uh, no I haven't seen anything I tried to get Charlotte and Lucy to watch (laughs) Russia with Love yesterday (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it was just on the telly. Oh, that's right, it was, yeah, yeah. It was on at three o'clock on ITV. Uh, so I stuck it on. They stuck around for about 20 minutes because they kept going, look, he's going for a secret door. Ooh, that someone's following him, trying to sort of get them into it. Um, well, they didn't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's all I've seen. Nice. There you go. So that's it for this episode. And if this is going to be the last ending, I think it's appropriate we have an ending piece of music. Okay. What, what could end... 
the movie Dodger. Stop. Uh, I think there's only one one choice to play. You met me at a very strange time in my life. <laughs> I've been JQ. And I've been Finn. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs>